Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show was made possible by our patrons, so if you would like to support us, we're at patreon.com slash twotownsover. If you can't afford monetary donations, we are also at facebook.com slash ttopod. If you would share us around and give us five-star ratings on whatever podcast you're into, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. living in the 80s taught me anything if it's bad it must be satan you want to run that back yeah ad breaks as they were legally allowed to yeah. um a lot of old uh fortnite youtubers did this bro when... i hate it when they fucking do that uh-huh shit. and they they just put as many ad breaks in as they can that's why I because you get paid more and not the app you know the app yeah. is better you get paid more when you do it that way mm. yeah so so did everybody have a good week for the most part or a week that's not miserable I don't want to commit to that. <laughs> well, if you did, allow me to fucking crush that because yeah, uh, oh buddy, I I I'm immune today. Are you? I, we're gonna play Sea of Thieves after this. Oh. Are you fucking? Okay, with that's me? fair. That's fair. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, before we do this, uh, since this, this episode last week, this episode is gonna come out uh, the week after we yeah. do we do our stream. So uh, I'm just gonna cover my bases here. Thank you so much to everyone that stopped by to to say hi while we streamed. Uh, we really appreciated you... it. We'll probably do it again since so many people seemed so appreciative of spending the time with us. I'll be the left hand. I'll be the left shoulder. Um... You didn't come watch our goddamn stream. Why didn't so you come watch you. us? We had zero viewers the whole time. Come watch our goddamn... Next time we do a stream, because we're going to keep doing it for spite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, I better see you. <laughs> one of our patrons, Jordan, did you see her comment? She was asking when you guys were doing it. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, and I told her, I was like, well, check Facebook, because they don't know exactly it'll be after we finish recording. She asked today? No, this was middle of the week last week. And oh, she shit. just okay. out of nowhere, she goes, and we are not sending you $42,000. Yeah, I saw that, actually. <laughs> and I was like, then you don't love the show like you say you do. Yeah. <laughs> Don's out here flaming our fans. <laughs> All right, but yeah, so let's let's go ahead and we'll get the sadness out of the way. We are still talking about the West Memphis Three, and uh, this week uh, we're going to continue talking about the initial investigation and um, uh, leading Wait. up to the trials. Okay, so because we we had like kind of touched on the trial already, hadn't we? No, no, no. no we literally just got stuff. to pre-trial. pre-trial. Yeah. Okay, that's right. That's right. It's well, I was. In my mental image, it was a courtroom. Well, yeah, because so, there was like you know hearings and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, leading so up to it's, it. Yeah, so my my I, brain was like, I was fully in the law and order of it. And yeah, I, I knew. <laughs> Me too. I was in the I was in the not the courtroom. Yeah, but uh-huh. the courthouse part of the drama, yes. right. where you're in the judge's office and you're arguing with the prosecution. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I skipped straight to the courtroom in, in my mental image. <laughs> Bro, this all about the is going to be so weird for you in the beginning to edit, because I'm fucking with levels, because I put the earphones on for the first time in a while, and yeah. we sounded... It was weird. All over the place. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think we're back to... Normal? Mostly good. Okay. So, mostly harmless. Yeah. I'm going to keep them on for a while, but okay. just to see. So where we left off, uh, Judge Burnett had just uh, overruled the request to have Jason and Damien's cases uh, separate. Oh, yeah. Her, What's his name? David Burnett. Fuck David Burnett. Oh, yeah. Fuck him. Fuck David Burnett. Fuck him with an American flagpole. Fuck... Fuck silly Mitchell. That's that's Billy Mitchell. No, I know, but yeah, yes, Gary. So Mitchell. fuck silly fuck, Mitchell. Fuck Gary, Gary Mitchell. Mitchell. That's the one. <laughs> His cousin. Uh huh. So uh, and that one cop in the beginning who didn't even fucking go inside. <laughs> so uh, Dan Stidham, Jesse's lawyer, uh, argued that Jesse was not mentally mature enough to stand trial. To prove his point. He called Dr. William E. Wilkins to the stand. Uh, praise this man. Oh, yeah. Boy, I Fucking... wish I wish they had the language that we do now, because I want to know if it is, like, is it autism? Is it, what, is he just stupid? Like, I believe that there are people who can just be dumb, and that's right. not their fault or whatever. It's just, right. you know, but like. Well, is, is he still alive? Jesse? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I figured he must be. Yeah. He he has he had an opportunity to get a diagnosis is what he I'm really getting at. He, I don't think he's worried about that. He literally yeah. just wants Which to is, disappear. That's fucking valid. Oh, okay. Honestly. Good for him. Truly. Like that's why I'm just gonna speculate and just say that it's speculation because I don't want people to think that I'm diagnosing this man whom I've never met and who I'm <laughs> reading a third party account of. Right. Years, years after the fact. The best that I could describe Jesse, the closest thing I could come up with would be like a a, a less successful Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesse is what the world actually treats people like Forrest Gump. Exactly. Like. Yeah. So um, Dr. Wilkins uh, testified that Jesse's IQ hovered around the 70s and that scholastically he had reached the maximum education level of that of a third grader. Now, Burnett, however, was not swayed. He asked the doctor if Jesse had developed street smarts, asking, even though his intelligence capacity was borderline, did he not function in society well? The doctor disagreed and stated that he only functioned marginally. Now, Fogelman, who was the prosecutor, there's these names, I have to, every episode, I got to remember or remind everybody who these people are, because there's so many names. there's a lot. There's a lot of characters in this story. So the prosecutor Fogelman countered the doctor's testimony by calling up our good friend Jerry Driver, who recited Jesse's record, which included the theft of banned flags from the school. Because that screams Satanism. Yeah. Yeah. And murder. steal flags. Yeah. That's like the number one thing you got to do to get initiated. You get jumped into Satanism, and then you got to steal the rival school's flag. Exactly. Yes. I love the... Here's... Okay. Uh... I'm already. I'm going off on a tangent. Six minutes in, I'm Fuck on a tangent. Yeah. My high school. One of us. <laughs> my high school mascot was the devil. Nice. We were the Kathleen Red Devils. Did have they changed it since then? No. No. Good. And I literally remember. We Bro, were there at, are so many schools that are the Blue Devils. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. not even fucking uh-huh. funny. But we were the Red Devils. I yeah. Mean, literally, it was. But I remember a pep rally. Going to a pep rally in the gymnasium that had the big Red Devil in the middle. Nice. 
and the cheerleaders came out and sat around the logo <laughs> and they brought like a like a, a body out and they started like doing these hand motions and the body started jerking and one of the basketball players like the star popped out or whatever but yeah we were doing fucking satanic rituals in our pep rally got it they they should have brought in a goat <laughs> they really should have <laughs> Just so, to just to just to make everybody go what? Just to watch yeah. half the parents go. Oh, okay, I don't. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe different school. <laughs> so Fogelman then called Detective Ridge, who described the injuries. He turns saw out in- the goat's just the mascot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Detective Ridge, who described the injuries that he saw in the victims' bodies. Burnett ruled again that due to the seriousness of the crime, Jesse would be tried as an adult. Now, Stidham, along with Jason and Damien's attorneys, tried to get the opportunity to interview the police officers under oath, but were based con- on the fact that fuck this kid. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, I love that Stidham is my favorite character because his name is so close to Statham. So I'm just picturing him as like an action. Shit. Man. Like Jason Statham. Yeah. Damn. Uh huh. What, <laughs> what is he arguing? He's for Jesse. He's Jesse's attorney. Listen, right. He's not fucking smart enough <laughs> to stand trial by himself. And he shouldn't be tried as an adult. That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, still. That was not Statham, but it was close enough. Close enough. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was close enough that it. It sounded like something from a, a Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah, yeah. So Stidham, along with Jason and Damien's attorneys, tried to get the opportunity to interview the police officers under oath, but were constantly denied the chance by Judge Burnett. Gloria or Glory Shettles, who was Lax's assistant. What do you mean, try him as an adult? This man is an idiot. <laughs> uh, who attended the hearings later told Lax that at one point during the hearings, John Fogelman had commented that something would have to be done about Damien's eyes for him to be credible. What? Yeah, just that Damien had like evil looking eyes. S- what fuck off? Are, are they just like. <sighs> What's his last name again? Jesse? No, we're talking about Damien. Oh, we're talking about Damien. Yeah. It's literally just that he has uh, like a protruding brow. Yeah. That's that's it. It's I was I was thinking it was still Jesse. But no, no, no. So it's the same thing. Uh, it's something that I realized about myself and my genes because here's a quick little story. One time me and my family, uh, my brother was visiting us in Colorado. We went to this uh, cute little mountain town area and they had one of those. Yeah, basically. Um, Fuck that is in Colorado, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the the little move there, (laughs) (laughs) the little mountain town that we went to uh, had one of those old timey photo parlors, right? Where you go in and, and we did, we did like a gangster photo and, uh, the photographer was absolutely loving my brother because he also has a very protruding brow where when you look down your brow like that, you look really, really menacing. mean and menacing. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, oh, the gangster is perfect for you and was loving it. And so uh, I like looked in the mirror when I got home and I was like, oh, oh, wait, me too. <laughs> and so it's it's that. That that's the thing that they're talking about with his eyes. Yeah. It's just the fact that he has a, a very dominant brow that makes him look menacing. If you're An just idiot. looking at somebody based on appearances, yeah. Well, I don't think I put it in the in the uh, script, but uh, Pam Hops, the uh, the mother of Stevie, uh huh. She was interviewed by the police, and she asked them after the boys had been arrested. Do you think that they did it? And she said, absolutely. And he said, why? 
and her thing was literally, we'll just look at them. They're punks. Uh-huh. That was her whole thing. Now, she has since, you know. Recanted. Recanted and came to their side. Right. And we'll get to that in a later episode. Okay. But. I, I understand that that is a good thing that she was able to. Come to finally her come to her senses yeah. but god damn if that don't make me more mad at her like yeah. like because that means you should have known to me like yeah. if i you know what i mean if you if you're willing to call an absolute judgment on something that means you either that means you need to be all the way in Yes. Forever. Especially like if you're gonna, with murder. Yeah, especially with murder. If you're going to say for sure they did it, if they killed these three eight-year-old boys, you need a better reason than just look at them. Right. And I understand that she came around eventually, however long that took her, but like, f- fuck people like that. Yeah. Don't be the you kind of f- person who will say, <clears throat> yeah, totally, look at them. It right. feels like the lady who was like, oh, actually, Emmett Till didn't attack me at all. Didn't even fucking touch me. Like, that shit really gets to me. Because, yeah. like, you're, you should know. If I'm going to say something for 100% all in, yeah. I'm not changing my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, Nazis are bad. N- you're never going to change my mind on that. Period. <laughs> like... Oh, what about the Nazi scientists that helped America? Look at America right now and tell me if that's a good argument. Right. Like, come on now. But this statement about Damien's eyes solidified to Shettles that there was no way that Damien was going to receive a fair trial. But it wasn't just the defense attorneys having issues. Six months had passed since the murders, and aside from Jesse's confession, the prosecution didn't have much besides the slimmest of circumstantial evidence. They tried this in in the town. I just want correct? to say real quick before I forget, I would rather live in the literal Stone Ages than have had Jason. What the fuck, Mengele? Joseph, Joseph Mengele, yeah. Then have him ha- have existed. Uh huh. Yeah. I would wipe him from existence to stay at the level of technology that we were at in the literal Stone Ages. And I fuck with AC. Do you understand? <laughs> like. <laughs> But so with the uh, with the trial, uh, the, I know that the main trials, uh, uh, the uh, Jason and Damien's trial was held in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Okay, I, so they did move it. Yeah, to they another moved it town. out of. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say that I hope they fucking did. Oh, yeah, because yeah. there's no way. There's they're... no way they were gonna get a fair trial in West Memphis with right. with a jury from West Memphis. There, there was absolutely no way. It has to be tried. Um, do you know like in the next county over? Do you know what's fucked up? Hmm. Is that, and I recognize this is fucked up. Whenever you guys say the word Memphis, I only think of two things, and it's that song "Walking in Memphis." Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Me too. And it is also black people, specifically, <laughs> specifically music. Yeah, like yeah, blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I so that's I think why I think I have always and... been like, is this the one where it's the black kid? No, that's the Donald Trump one. <laughs> like, because it's yeah. No, there was so that's something that they do a lot of times. Just for anyone who doesn't know, um, court processes with big cases like this, if there is a uh, reason to believe that um, somebody who is accused will not receive a fair trial in the town in which or the county in which the the crime was committed allegedly then they will move the trial to the next county in order to get a more 
quote unquote objective jury. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's. We need to go farther. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, there is one particularly exceptional case, though, which uh, if anybody has seen the Jack Black movie Bernie, was based on um, a true story of a man named Bernie Tire who murdered an elderly woman. Um, they moved his trial out of town because they believed that there was absolutely no way that a jury from that town would convict him because everybody hated her so much <laughs> and loved him so much. It is a very good movie. You should absolutely watch it. It is Jack Black's immediate response to uh, Jack Black only plays himself in movies. Not this one. So aside from Jesse's confession, the prosecution didn't have much beside the slimmest of circumstantial evidence. And Jesse had recanted his confession and refused to repeat any of it in court. The fibers that had been found with the bodies matched fibers found at the teens' homes, but only on a microscopic level, meaning that the fibers could match fibers found in almost any household that shopped at the same locations. Yeah, I was going to say, they match fibers at my house, probably. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. They, they, I, it's, I am just as guilty of murdering those children in West Memphis uh, before I was born than those three men are. So they also had the testimony of two young girls and a couple of teenage boys stating that Damien had confessed to the murders at a softball game, but that wasn't enough to ask for the death penalty. So that meant the on, that only Je, they only had Jesse's confession, which he had already recanted to use against Jesse. Now Damien's bizarre behavior to use against him was virtually nothing to use. I'm sorry. And virtually nothing to use against Jason. Most importantly, they still did not have a murder weapon. And that's when Fogelman had an idea. Mm. We go look for more sticks. Fogelman nope. is the prosecutor? Yes. Fogelman decided to search what was lovingly referred to as Lakeshore Lake, but in reality was nothing more than a trailer park retention pond filled with junk and debris. He contacted the Arkansas State Police, who sent a team of divers out to help with the search. On November 17th, 1993... Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, in a trailer park retention pond, there is literally right now in all of them, not even necessarily coming from the people in the trailer park. Uh, it's just that they don't have any recourse to stop it. And also, sometimes it is people in the trailer. It just depends. But uh, in that retention pond, yes, your one, the one in your town right now, there are three bodies, four guns, and <laughs> 17 knives, all of which were murder weapons. Yes. Include the bodies were murder weapons. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They beat another motherfucker with that mother. Like, it's one yeah. body is a victim, one is the murder weapon. For sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and it's and then the other one is like the the weird <clears throat> statistical average where it's like 0.5. Yeah. So so it's like half of that body was a murder <laughs> weapon and the other half was a victim. Yeah. yeah so. They literally like cut them in half and beat them to death with their own legs. Yeah. Uh huh. So on November seventeenth, nineteen ninety three. That's a fucked up thing I just said. It's, yeah. I hope that's what they did. To, that that's what stoning with his own bones means. <laughs> no, I, that one. I want that to be like a literal magical ritual, <laughs> like in the good place where he's like, they'll scoop my essence out with a flaming ladle and pour me over hot diamonds, and then he's like, uh, and then they'll string me up and beat me with an iron rod for eternity. And, he, and there's like a pinata. He's like, the only difference is you have the rope around my neck, and it will definitely be around my genitals like that's the one that's what i'm that's stoning with their own but like take them bones and literally 
throw them at the person until they die from impact damage. Yeah. Like, I want them to be, I want them to suffer. So November 17th. Ruben's a pacifist. Uh, yeah. 1993. Yeah. The divers entered the littered water behind Jason's house. And in less than an hour, one diver emerged from the murky water holding a nine-inch survival knife. What? With a jagged edge over his head. I can't believe it. <laughs> the knife matched the description of the knife that Deanna Holcomb, Damien's ex-girlfriend, said that he used to carry around. Oh, my fucking God. The diver said he found the knife buried to its hilt in mud at a point 47 feet from Jason's house. Fogelman declared the find as, quote, quite a coincidence. He said he considered the possibility that somebody could have planted it, but had dismissed the idea because as far as he knew, quote, the only people who knew we were going to do that search were the police. You mean the... <sighs> the police are not the only people who know anything in this case, yeah. as we have learned mm -hmm. from their previous behavior. But also, even if they were the only people who knew that they were going there... I don't trust these police to not plant evidence. Oh, me either. Not for a second. They probably didn't even and fucking do a dive. They went over there, they hung out for a barbecue, and uh -huh. one of them bought a knife at Walmart and took it home. Yep. <laughs> probably dipped it in the water, jabbed it in the dirt a little bit. Yeah. They stabbed the mud around their creek bed in their backyard, and then uh -huh. they, took it, they took it in like, it's this one. Well, then they said it matched the description of another knife. Every yeah. Bowie every knife is Bowie the goddamn same. matches the description of every other Bowie knife. You mean, oh, a Bowie knife? What? What? Huh? The coolest knife that you can own when you're 17? <laughs> and unless it's fucking, unless it's a particularly distinctive knife, like, no, my, yeah, I'm gonna fucking out myself as cringe. No, my butterfly knife doesn't look like a Bowie knife, but it's, unless it is a distinctive style of knife, then it matches every other yeah. regular ass Oh, knife. you mean it's a knife? <laughs> it's a handle with a blade on it? Holy shit. So Fogelman said that there were two reasons why he was Balasong, sure. Balasong, thank you, brain. <laughs> yeah, it's, I wasn't, I know that it's called a Balasong. I, was, I wasn't going to be that cringy. I literally it. was trying to out cringe you, and my brain forgot the word and then just <laughs> remembered it. It's Filipino. So Fogelman said that there were Damn two it. reasons he was How sure. How did you win still? <laughs> <laughs> that he was sure that the knife had been thrown into the lake by the murderers. First, he said, no one other than the investigators knew that Deanna had told police that Damien had owned such a knife. And second, anyone planting the knife would have had to know, as Fogelman put it, quote, not just where we were going to look, but when we were going to do it. Now, Fogelman was over the moon about this find. The forensics lab stated that Christopher Byers' penis had been cut off by an instrument with at least one serrated edge, which this knife had. The knife looked like the one Deanna had described Damien owning, and then there was the coincidence of where it was found, because if the... Mm. Even Don. You wrote the shit and I you know. can't even get through it with I a straight know. face. Because it just, it strikes me, if somebody was fucking sadistic enough to kill three kids for Satan, why the fuck would they take the fucking murder weapon and throw it 47 feet from their house? That's not even a good thing throw by no, the way no that's like no dismissively toss that bitch out the window that's nothing that's why like you were saying every retention pond especially near a trailer park has a murder weapon in and it. there are 12 tires just in there yeah. for no reason Probably nobody even threw cart. them there 
Yeah. A discarded shopping cart. Tires just spawn in retention ponds. That's where they're born. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all four tires on your car originally came from a retention pond. In, but in a mobile home park. Shit like this is exactly why if you kill somebody and you need to get rid of your murder weapon, just go throw it in a retention pond. <laughs> It'll get blamed on somebody who lives in the trailer park next to that retention pond. Right. So without don't m- murder people, yeah. though, and With- then don't try to frame it on local innocent teenagers. Yeah. Don't punch down. Like if you're gonna murder, murder up. Always so- murder up and always blame up. Wait, no, I'm sorry. I meant punch up. Yeah. Oops. So with that one inspired idea, Fogelman, allegedly Fogelman now had a murder weapon which would become the centerpiece of his case. But more importantly, he now had something to tie Jason to the murders. Like, like if I get murdered by a trust fund kid in this country, I'll be oh so mad. God, dude. But if a homeless person kills me, I'm not. That's fine. Uh, yeah, makes sense. You know, like I'm up for them. So it's, you know, in my own rule set, that's practice I'd prefer not to be murdered, but like... Uh-huh. So uh, there was, however... Do what you got to do is what I'm saying. I better not be murdered by somebody who makes my salary in a week. I'm for real. So there was, however, a major problem with Fogelman's statement that no one knew... I'm sorry. There was a problem with Fogelman's statement that no one knew where or when they were searching. This arose because the day after the knife was found, a front-page article was written about the discovery, and the article was accompanied by a photo of the diver, still neck deep in the lake, holding the knife over his head. This article offered they, no explanation. They got him to get in there and pose with that. For sure. The article offered no explanation as to how the reporter who'd taken the photo had known about the search. Yeah, because nobody <laughs> knew about it but <laughs> the police. Right. Motherfucker. Mm, God. <laughs> Fucking shit. <laughs> So at the end of November, Fogelman released another large batch of evidence to the defense. Evidence here in however many quotation marks you think <laughs> it takes to reverse the thing they said. It's you know like what? absolutely on a microscopic level. Quotation, italicized, underlined brackets. I'm going to take back my outburst real quick about uh, nobody knowing how the reporter found out. He saw a police search taking place and he grabbed it. You know what? That's fucking fair. I will I'll give you that. He saw a whole bunch of cops. Because it didn't take him ten minutes. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. And that's fair. However, also still bullshit. Oh, still bullshit. Yeah. I also what the fuck whoa. My brain just did the thing where it just forgets what I was talking about. Yeah. You were talking about the reporter fighting the knife. Oh no, you were talking about evidence. Oh yeah, the, the you should imagine the word evidence every time he says it in this whole series about the West Memphis Three. Imagine it in the text of the SpongeBob meme. What the imagination? No, the, the other one, the one where it's him looking like a kind of fucked up chicken. Oh yeah, yeah. uh huh, uh huh, and he's just like uh, evidence. <laughs> that one, do that one. Yep. So one thing sparked more, more quotation marks than letters. Yes. Yeah. So one thing sparked the uh, interest of the defense. It was a transcript of an interview between Detective Ridge and Sudbury and John Mark Byers, the stepfather of Christopher Byers. Now, this lengthy interview had been conducted before the arrests. For some reason, it had been withheld for almost six months. And with with six weeks left before Jesse's trial began, there was little time left to investigate. 
Lack summarized the content of the interview, stating that it was not clarified why buyers became alarmed so early in the night. And not even Lacks noticed in the transcript where Byers' accounts of events differed from Melissa Byers, his wife and Ryan Byers' stepson. These went unnoticed because the information was released months later. Lacks focused instead on, Fuck! What, on what the transcript said about the conduct of the investigators. He noted, quote, On page 31 of the interview, Byers tells Ridge that John Fogelman had promised him and the other fathers that he would seek the death penalty for the individuals responsible, regardless of their age. Fogelman also allegedly told the fathers he did not see how the responsible parties could claim insanity since they had tried to cover up the crime. Lax noted that the interview was conducted on May 19th, two weeks after the murders and two weeks before Jesse's confession. Lax asked pointedly, why would Fogelman refer to the age of the responsible party this early in the investigation? Now, as a quick aside, I want to point out that despite what you may think, I am not implying that John Mark Byers committed the crime. To do so would be no better than what the police of West Memphis did to Damien, Jason, and Jesse. I am merely pointing out the facts that show that not all leads were followed to their conclusion. Over the rest of this story, you will hear multiple alternatives to the three convicted, some more damning than others. All of this to say, the case of the Wet Memphis Three is, even to this day... Do you, <laughs> you want to run that back? Yeah. Okay, okay. I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. I wish anything. we were a video podcast so bad. <laughs> yeah, me too. I wasn't going to say anything at all because I was kind of thinking... I want to I want to have him hear it later. <laughs> but, but, but then I looked at Josh and, and the look of sheer joy on his face fucking got to me so hard. He really looked like that painting of a little boy he always claims he is. <laughs> <clears throat> All of this to say the case of the West Memphis Free <laughs> is, even to this day, still a very complex, unsolved case, despite what the court said in 1994. Fuck Shit, me. man. You really looked up like, it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> now, following a visit with Damien, Lax noted that he believed that Damien was suffering from Great Depression. However, he also felt that he needed to confront Damien about something. Had Damien ever told anyone that he had committed the murders? Shettles had already asked Damien that question in an earlier visit. She told Damien that there were girls who reported to have heard Damien confess to the crimes at a softball game shortly after the murders. Fuck them. Damien Damien confessed that he did make remarks to various people prior to his arrest that might be misconstrued. However, he stated that he never made the remark in a serious manner. When Lax visited Damien, he pressed the issue again, but Damien did not answer. Answer Lax only sat and stared into the distance. So Damien admitted that, yeah, he did say, oh, I killed those kids. But he said it as any fucking teenage goth kid. Well, so this is something that I was thinking about, like, earlier when you mentioned that these girls had heard him say that he was the murderer. Yeah. Um, he had a reputation to uphold. 
Right. He loved walking around with a fucking animal skull mm-hmm. and making people believe that he was the single most dark and brooding anime protagonist that <laughs> the town of West Memphis, Arkansas had ever seen. So, And he was. And he was. But obviously... So, like, as soon as you said that they had heard him say that that he did it, um, I'm like, oh, great. So he, being a stupid fucking Mm 17-year-old, started walking around after this and jokingly said, yeah, it was me. Aren't I scary enough to have done it? Yeah. I immediately flashed back to... Um, me and my sister and my cousin, who might as well be my sister, Casey, and love KP. <clears throat> oh, she's the greatest. She really is. Um, she's getting married in October. Uh, her and Patrick. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He shaved his head bald, and he looks fucking good, dude. God, I wish I could rock a bald head. God damn, dude. My skull shaped funny. Some people don't want to do it. I no, think I should not. I don't. I don't know. I. I. I think I looked out. You've got such a good bald head. I lucked out. I did. Really? I did, I did. But um anyway, <laughs> my we when we were teenagers, one of our fucking favorite things to tell our mother was to you see I just include her in it. I didn't even fucking think about it. Yeah, we told our mom like we would be going out to do shit, and she'd be like, oh, yeah, where are you guys going? And we were like, we're going to go do drugs and have sex. And then we would leave the house, and she would be like, they're going to be safe. Like, yep. it's, You know what I mean? It's like we – that's what you do when you think you're being edgy and you just got your driver's license or whatever. Right. Like, oh, yeah. So I would do the same thing uh, with my mom a lot of times. So she, she knew that I smoked weed. But uh, I would leave the house, and she'd be like, where are you, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with some friends. We're probably going to do heavy psychedelics and some pills. She'd be like, all right, have fun. And then I'd go out with my friends, and we would do some heavy psychedelics and some pills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we would literally, like, I remember more than one occasion where we would be like, we're going to go do a satanic ritual in the woods. Bye. Uh-huh. Like, like just stupid, just any, the most outrageous thing we could think to say that we would know that our mom would be like, oh, I, those jokesters. Like, yep. But you, you were goofing. I was actually. <laughs> oh, we would. Do, I would do that shit too. I would tell. I would tell my mom like, oh, I'm probably gonna go out and like, oh, I was a, I was like a clean cut kid. So I the know. worst we would do was like go to Center Street and hang out in that weird, creepy church. Oh yeah, yeah. That was our favorite thing to do. So Shettles visited Damien the following week for his 19th birthday. But the, celebra- the celebratory atmosphere was overshadowed by this upcoming trial. Damien told Shettles that if he was found not guilty, he wanted to move out of Arkansas and own a bookstore. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and that sounds Good like for a him. killer. I hope he did that. But kind of he did Good. in the end. But uh, if he was found guilty, he would throw himself out of a third-story building. One way or another, he said he was oh, ready to have it be over. Buddy, buddy, they don't give you the chance to throw yourself out of a yeah. building after you get found guilty. You just go straight to the jail. He didn't know that. So, uh, near the end that. of December, Fogelman released to the defense transcripts of an interview with Cocksucker. I'm, I'm sorry, wait. I'm sorry, Jerry Driver. Heard. Mm-hmm. In the interview, Driver reported that... I, easy mistake. I know. E- yeah. I they mean, both ended in er. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's yeah. you know, slip of the tongue. No worries. So, Driver reported that for up to a year before the murders, he had compiled a list of seven kids that he stated showed all the earmarks of satanic involvement. 
which he describes as, quote, the tattoos and the devil rings and this, that, and the other. I hate this man. Uh-huh. <laughs> so much more than even Gary Bitchell. Driver even <clears throat> noted Jesse's spiked hair as a sign oh, of his involvement. fuck off to hell. How, <laughs> how old is Jerry? He's in his 50s at this point. I'll fuck him up. Oh, no. Now he's... In his eighties, I don't give a I'll shit. Definitely fucking I up don't now. Give a shit. Then that I might have lost to him when he certain. was fifty, but I can definitely win if he's in his eighties. That makes it certain. I'll fuck him up. <laughs> so Lax also interviewed Marty King, the manager of the Bojack. I, you know what I just had was the intense curiosity. What kind of person is he now? Who knows? I want to know though. What's his What's his real name again? It's Jerry Driver. Jerry Driver. That's it. Uh, Jerry's for, in the driver's seat. That's how I remember. For whatever reason, it. That sounded fake. Wasn't oh, there oh, a shit, Primus song called like, Jerry was a race car driver or something? No like idea. Yeah. Maybe it was Johnny was a race car driver. I don't remember. I also thought it was Prima. No, it's Primus. Primus. Yeah. That's the, okay, that's right. I know that there was a ministry song called Jesus Built My Heart Rod. But either way. So, that is a thing. I yeah. do know that that is a thing. Yeah. I hate it a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever. I just want to see if he's like dead. Hurry up, you silly bitch. And where his grave is so that we can all go Probably Arkansas, I would assume. Well, yeah, but like I need the exact cemetery. You, can, you can probably just keep reading. Okay. I, it's, I he's, heard, 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 heard. So he doesn't Lax, have like his own article yeah. anywhere. So Lax also interviewed Marty King, the manager of the Bojangles restaurant, who reported that the evening the bodies were found, an off-duty police officer came into the restaurant to eat. King had told the officer about the bloody man who had entered the restaurant the night before. The officer looked into the ladies' room and discovered flecks of blood still remaining and contacted the police department. Hold up now, because what you told me at the beginning... This is... The next, this is no, 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 no. Um, oh, this is like a later date. Yeah, this is an off-duty police officer just happened <clears throat> oh, to come in. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, so that's <clears throat> how they knew there was actually blood there. Yes. Okay. So the officer... I was wondering about that. Yeah. Discovered flecks of blood still remaining and contacted the police department. A short time later, Detective Ridge and Allen entered the restaurant. Now, this marked the first time since King had called the night before that a police detective had noticed the had entered the building. Motherfucker. King had called the night before or that the police. Uh, I'm sorry. King gave them a pair of sunglasses he had pulled from the toilet. The detectives took these and the blood scrapings with them. King never heard from them again. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Another interview conducted by Lax was that of a teenage boy that knew Jesse that was on the list of possible witnesses. Police reports indicated that they had interviewed the 18-year-old for close to five hours. He had also been given a polygraph test. Finally, the statement from the boy was videotaped where he said that Jesse had admitted to him that he was with Jason and Damien the night uh, when they killed the little boys. What the fuck? When Lax interviewed him, though, he gave a much different story. He stated that he had attempted to tell the police that he knew nothing regarding the murders. He stated that the police continued to yell and scream at him until he told them what they wanted to hear. And he told Lax that Jesse had never said anything about the murders. So in yet another interview, this time with a teen named Christopher Little, or Littell, Lax was told a similar story of the police department's interview techniques. Christopher told how he first, uh, how the first time he was interviewed, just five days after the murders, the police had been cordial. And his mother had been present. But a little over two weeks later, police pulled him out of school to interview him again, this time without his mother present. 
He stated that Detective Durham had been nice to him, but that Gitchell had become extremely upset on occasions and would yell and scream at him. At one point, Gitchell got into Littrell's face and grabbed his chin, threatening that he would have no reservation putting the teen in a holding cell if he wouldn't tell the truth. This is why I hate adults, even as an adult. Because when when a neurotypical adult has decided what they think the truth is, they do not care to hear anything other than that thing. And that goes for it's different levels for everybody. That's a human thing. But it is especially once you think you're grown, you lock in in such a way that makes you become QAnon. Or it makes you lock in and still think it's cool to call things retarded. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's different levels for sure. But you, it's fucking wild to me. That we allow our police officers to do that. I, if we're going to keep police, which we shouldn't, <laughs> but if we're going to keep them, we need, they need to be in fucking classes goddamn every month for, or whatever. Like, however fast society is moving, they need to be moving that fast. They need to understand, even if you don't agree with these you know, with the political viewpoints and shit, you need to understand and, and know facts like what is effective, what is not effective. You need to be taught how to remain curious instead of certain, especially as a detective. It's your job as a detective to not be certain. Literally like <clears throat> your job is to find the truth and as a detective, your job is to not be certain of the truth so that you don't miss anything. Right. And yet, we over and over and over again, you have told me about these people who have just been, <clears throat> if you don't tell us the truth, we're going to do horrible shit to you, which is, first of all, that's illegal. That's like, not that they give a fuck, but it, it is. So, um... Police interrogation footage has become one of my favorite YouTube genres in recent times. And that's hey, that's rough, buddy. I <laughs> I know. I that's not because I'm like interested in their interrogation tactics or that there's some parts of it that are psychologically interesting and uh oh we've all been there uh, right been you know uh, it's picking apart what parts of body language are and are not pseudoscience because a lot of body language stuff is pseudoscience um but they're all like this it, it's also if i ever get wrongfully accused of murder from watching police interrogations like this i'll i'll know like from their language and the way they're framing things, whether or not they have already decided that I have done it mm -hmm. because in all of the, the interrogation clips and stuff that I watch, um, it's, you can just tell that the cops have already decided that this person did it. And in those videos, they're always right because you're not going to watch that. I mean, there, there are some of them that do they, demonstrate what it's like when a wrongfully convicted person, or not wrongfully convicted, but wrongfully accused person is being interviewed and interrogated. Mm -hmm. um, but most of them, you are watching the murderer get yeah. interrogated and seeing how the cops 
finally get them to confess because that's what they're really therefore is a confession and you know what's crazy josh is that when i watch those videos i watch the last round that i watched there i watched one of them really stuck with me it was briefly this young father he was like a teenage father mm-hmm. was literally hitchhiking across the country to get back to his family uh-huh or trying to find a job sure um <clears throat> and he stopped at this house of another young man in his young 20s sure i believe and his girlfriend and their roommate i guess at this house and the guy offered you know you can stay the night at my place and blah 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 oh hey let's go out to the desert and we'll we'll do what we like to do we you know we go out and shoot possums yeah um as you do as you do but when they got out there this guy fucking straight up murdered this kid in cold blood and it was interesting because the three people that got convicted of it were the three you know roomies yeah and the girl obviously lied a bunch in her first interview like she was clearly fucking panicked but what it and then the other dude who was like already like a criminal he was already in jail in and out of jail um was like doing all the things that a criminal thinks they need to do to stay out of jail right and you could kind of tell the difference Uh uh-huh but the difference between the way the cops treated them was insane. Yeah. It was insane. They, they, they it was wild. They treated the, the already criminal guy like, oh, yeah, hey, Jim, you're back again or whatever. Right. Um, this time for something serious. I can't believe this. What the fuck? And the, the girl, they were like gentle for the first interview and a half, and then they uh-huh. went hard. That, no, that's what they do. Um, it's called the read technique. Mm-hmm. And then for the guy who they finally figured out, like, the evidence was clearly he had done it. When he got in there for his fucking first interview, they were so goddamn polite to this kid. I was so mad. I was like, what the fuck? Like, you, I, I understand that you need to not make missteps so that you can get him convicted, but you don't need to be acting like his friend right now. No, that's what they do. I hate it. They'll they'll so offer much. you anything. They'll offer to let you smoke a cigarette in the interrogation room. Um, they have a special thing that they'll bring out that's like a souped up air purifier, um, so that they can let you smoke a cigarette without letting you go outside, so that they can keep you isolated in that little room. Mm-hmm. It's fucking insane. Yeah, that's su- super fascinating stuff to watch. But and... I mean, even when they were calling him out for lying. Like, when they called the girl out for lying, they were m- not not just not gentle. They were purposefully mean. Yeah. And when they called this murderer out for lying to their face, they were so goddamn polite. Like, hey, hey, man, listen. So the story we got from everybody else is this. And their stories match. And yours doesn't. So what's the deal there? So and that's like, because they so knew that he did it already. I know, but it's so fucking frustrating. No, I, no, no, no. No, that, that's what makes it more frustrating. Yeah. It's because they knew that he did it already that they were being nice to him. Yeah. Because they know everyone in that room knew who did a murder. Yep. And he, they want him to think 
that he's pulling one over on him, that he's going to get away with it, that they're being so polite to him because there's no way he could have done it. But when they don't know if somebody did it, they press, and they press hard. They're real, real nice in the beginning. Can I get you anything? Can I get you water? Can I get you, by the way, if you're ever in an interrogation room, don't accept the water. Um, they will get your prints and DNA off of that cup, and they do not need a warrant to do it. Although, I mean, don't murder, but if you're ever being wrongfully accused of murder. Um, <laughs> Welcome to T-Town's Over, where we have to constantly remind you, hey, we're not saying murder somebody. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but- I, I feel like our position is clear when the people we get the most mad at are the people who aren't solving the fucking murder. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're not sure if somebody actually did it and they are trying to get them to confess... It's always real nice for a little bit. And then once they start getting into questions, it's like, no, we don't think that's what happened. Tell us what really happened. And it doesn't matter what the fuck you tell them. They're just going to get more and more aggressive with, nope, that's not what happened. We already know what happened. As a matter of fact, we just want you to tell us what happened. And then they'll like try to offer you alternatives like, well, you got mad and that's why you killed him. It was a crime of passion. We get it. We get it. It happens. Sorry, that was a long tangent about criminal justice, but... uh, Criminal quote-unquote justice. Yeah, quote-unquote criminal quote-unquote justice. So Lax also... Well, it is criminal, because breaking the law is criminal. I am a criminal. Oh, for sure. Right now. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, just because I smoke weed in a state that doesn't really want me to, doesn't make me a bad person. And I think that's the distinction that most cops lose. Yeah. They lose that distinction of, I know it's my job to catch criminals, but I signed up to fight bad guys. And they're not the same thing. They often overlap because you break laws, and there are laws that if you break them, you're probably a fucking bad guy, like the murder one. That's the big one. That's the big one. You know, petty theft... That one's sort of a iffy case by case situation. Are you starving and you stole a donut? I'm not worried about that. Like, are you a rich man who is stealing artwork though? Because fuck you. What? Like, are you embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from your workers while you um, lower their quality of life over and over and over again, Jeff Bezos? Um, then fuck you, and you should probably go to jail forever. But like, criminal and bad guy, villain evildoer is not the same and this cannot be more exemplified than these teenagers versus the cops right now because hey, like, look we brought it back to the subject matter these teenagers have definitely broken laws because you are not supposed to be able to own certain types of knives when you're a teen <laughs> that's been a loss for a long time i had one when i was a king oh i did i did too <laughs> you're okay. I think I got my first butterfly knife when I was 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually had a Bowie knife. Yeah. It was a grand it was a Christmas gift from my grandfather. Yep. Yeah, I started collecting You're knives. You're not technically when I was supposed to own them. Yeah. Um, but Oops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the cops here are fucking bad guys. Yep. That's the point. Like you're not supposed to own a Bowie knife, but who gives a shit, really? As long as you're not going to sta- literally stab somebody or yourself with it. 
if you can be trusted to own a Bowie knife at 13, you know what I'm saying? It's fucking fine. But if, but if, but the cops acting this way is the, is the worst criminal behavior I've ever seen, yep. but not really. Cause I have seen well, much of yeah, it, but like still, know. sorry. It's okay. So Lax also revisited the subject of Vicky and Aaron Hutchinson. Uh, because of the importance the police had placed on Aaron's numerous statements, it was vital to learn more about Aaron's whereabouts the night of the murders. I, I can't. <laughs> this kid is eight, yeah. maybe nine by now. Like, and they're staking so much on him mm-hmm. on a nine year, eight, eight year old. Yeah. Th- that's that's Who's obviously making shit up. That's beyond ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So Lax was especially interested in a confrontation that happened at the trailer park where Vicky and Jesse lived the night of the murders. Police responded to a call after a woman reported that a neighbor had slapped her son. Police arrived but left a few minutes later. An argument ensued, assumed again, or ensued again, and this time the three squad cars arrived. Lax interviewed five residents of the neighborhood, all reported that Vicky had taken part in said altercation. Lax also said if Vicky had mentioned anything or asked if Vicky had mentioned anything about the $35,000 reward money, multiple neighbors stated that she had. Vicky had told them that Aaron was going to receive the money. When Lax asked why, she said that she said that one neighbor told him that they had asked Vicky why and uh, Vicky said that Aaron or asked Vicky why Aaron was receiving the money, to which Vicky responded that Aaron had seen the murders. When Lax asked if the neighbor believed that they believe that they said no because Aaron had been with Vicky at the trailer park that night by the second week of January of 19 wow yeah so by the second week of January 1994 Jesse's trial was about to start the jury start about to start the jury selection when John Fogelman released another batch of records to the defense when Ron Lax reviewed the material he was shocked to see that among the papers were two release forms signed by Dana Moore and John Mark Byers dated December 20th, 1993, granting the West Memphis Police Department, along with staff from the Arkansas Crime Lab, permission to search their homes. No explanation was included as to why these requests were placed, especially so close to the start of Jesse's trial and nearly seven months after the arrests. Because they still don't have evidence and they're still trying to follow any minor not actually a lead for it. Yeah, but they're, they, this time they're actually wanting to search parents of the children. Right. Houses. So yeah, that, that should have been done d- day exactly. one. I read something the other day that... But the, most, but the case is an 11 out of 10, you guys. Yeah. It's an 11 out of 10. In they most know that cases they where children are murdered, the first people that are suspected by the police are the usually parents. the parents. Yes. And that and wasn't know. the case this time. So... Um, so by the time Jesse's jury had been chosen, Lax found a possible explanation. Damien's lawyer called Lax to inform him of yet another evidence drop. These records concerned a knife that the police said they had received 11 days earlier on January 8th, 1994. As Lax recalled, the knife... Oh, there it is. You know how the case is an 11 out of 10, right? How? Because they, they are, they're right. The case is an 11 out of 10. Uh, because the judge was a cop, yeah, yeah, for the department that they work for. Yep, like that. W- he, and then a prosecutor. 
the the lawyer whose job it is to put you in jail. Right. Yep. Like, I don't think you should be allowed to be a cop. Act. I mean, you you shouldn't be. Well, no one should be allowed to be a cop. You shouldn't be allowed to be a judge if you were a uh, a cop and a prosecutor. Like that that's sounds... the career path, though. I yeah. know, I know that that's the career path, and I feel like that's completely backwards. Yeah, because I've been to Monster dot com. They don't have judge openings for. No, me. I mean, <laughs> clearly you should need qualifications, but. If anything, I feel like you should need to have worked as defense, or even. You know, I don't. I don't think lawyers should be allowed to be judges, at all, because that's that's introducing a career's worth of bias that's into true. your rulings, one way yeah. or the other. It you know does what? not yeah, matter right. which way. It's like, if I'm going to be harsh on it, I'm going to be harsh on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's to me, a judge should be the most impartial person possible. Right. It's I almost feel like a judge should be its own It shouldn't just be a level in the criminal justice system that you yeah. are reaching for. It should be the same way some people go and they're like I want to be a a surgeon. So you go to school for 10 fucking years. Right. Yeah. And then finally you finish that and you get to now, uh, start learning how to be a uh, a surgeon. I think you should definitely go to law school and then also judge school. Right, exactly. Like you go to nursing school and then medical school and then fucking postgraduate. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a path to get to doctor. all, All with the exact intention of being a judge. Yeah. I don't know exactly how that would work. I'm not. A I don't genius either. or I'm nothing, just spitballing but here. like it, fe- like to me, what we have now is broken. I feel like it's better. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it, like because to be a judge right now in this country, the real career path is you become either a cop or a lawyer. Uh huh. And if you're a cop, it's because you're putting yourself through college to become a lawyer. Yep. On this specific career path, and then you become the lawyer. And then you also still stay in college. You do still do that. Mm-hmm. And then you get to become a judge in 15 years or whatever. Like, that's 15 years. Are judges elected? No? Some of them. Some I was going to say. Not all of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, I thought it depends on what kind of judge. Yes. Yeah, like circuit court, circuit yeah. court gets elected. Uh, circuit court was the one thing I knew, and I didn't want to say it because it was the only thing that I knew. <laughs> yeah, and then I think it's any – if you're a Supreme Court judge, whether that is state or federal, I do believe you well, are yeah. appointed. Yeah, yeah appointed you, you have to be Supreme. selected. Um, And then, yeah, so there's there's different types of judges, and whether you're appointed or elected is pretty much a coin flip. Um, But it is after – when you were a lawyer, you are usually – either a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney Mm -hmm. that and then it's literally like at least a decade of that before you get to become a judge and you have to be successful at it and by that i mean you have to win more cases than you lose yeah which means that when you are lawyering your job is not actually to Get the law right. Your job is to use the law as a weapon to win a fight. Yep. And 15, 10, 15 years of that introduces a habit and a bias into the way you view the law itself. 
and then you become a judge. And now you have to decide between the two people who the defense and the prosecutor who are people you used to work with or against. Right. right. And now you have to judge their cases impartially. Right, because when you spend 15 years as a, as a prosecutor, you have now inherently, psychologically identified defense attorneys as the enemy. Even if you have defense attorney friends, when you are at work, they are the competition. Right, exactly. So, so you, you want your side to win, and you can't just get rid of that overnight when you become a judge. Right. And you sometimes can't get rid of it at all. If you look at our judge or uh, our justice system, you'll know that that's true, right? Like, so no, I don't necessarily think that it's good. Like the best judge I ever saw, in my opinion, the best ruling I ever saw, well, not the best ruling. It was maybe the shittiest ruling, but the judge's integrity was kind of what I'm looking for, at least. Where she was like, I do. She was at least willing to say, I do not agree with this law but because you broke it in this state and we have a mandatory minimum i have to put you in jail right like i have no choice i think it is disgusting and it is the i hate having to do this as part of my job right and then she she says like why she became a judge and all that and i think she quit not long after that damn I where where was that? Do you recall? Was it like something that you saw online or? Yeah, that was, it wasn't, it was not Charlie. It was somebody similar to him though. I was watching somebody kind of pseudo react to it gotcha. a little bit. Okay. And they mentioned uh, a news article, which I cannot fucking verify. I want to make that clear. Sure. Um, that mentioned that she may have quit afterwards. Gotcha. But even if she didn't. That I did see her say it. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's that part is what what Factual. I mean. Yeah, that, you saw that, it. That is like you have to be willing to say things and do live like that to be a successful judge anywhere. Yeah, that's maybe one of the most uh, valuable tangents we've ever gone off on was how fucked up the process of becoming a judge is because i've i've never thought about that yeah that's a that's a unique tangent that i have um i've never gone down that train of thought before that was that was a good call ruben appreciate you so by the time jesse's jury had been chosen lax found a possible explanation for the search of the parents homes do do we want to do a big long important tangent about jury selection now and how that's fucked up too Uh, you want to play your fucking game tonight? <laughs> I, bitch, I don't give a fuck. I'll do three hours of sleep. I've done it before. I will just quickly say that they're literally not allowed to tell you what your actual power and duty is as a jury when you are selected. Yeah. They expect you to know. And it is also illegal for people to inform you of it. I don't know why. It's something, something, integrity or whatever. But that's, no, no. It just makes the system worse. Anyway, I want to be clear. That law is weird. It is technically illegal to do that, but you there are ways to get around it for somehow. I can't remember how, but even on YouTube, when you look up the people who you think would not give a shit, do not fucking tell you what your job is because they yeah. are scared. Like, that's how bad the justice system is. So by the time Jesse's jury had been chosen, Lax found a possible explanation for the search of the parents' homes. 
Damien's lawyer called Lax to inform him of yet another evidence drop. These records concerned a knife that the police had said they had received 11 days earlier on January 8th, 1994. As Lax recalled... I, I, I do have another question about the jury. I'm sorry. How... This is, this is a rhetorical question. How do you think that a the phrase, a jury of your peers can apply to teenagers who their peers aren't legally able to be summoned for jury duty. Well, and they're being tried as adults, so you're never going to get a quote-unquote jury of their peers. So, but, like, anyway. Yeah, uh-huh. Go on. So, as Lax recalled, the knife had been shipped FedEx, but there was no packaging. The knife was eight and three-quarter inches long and had been sent to the Arkansas Crime Lab for testing. The results reflected... What? No packaging? No packaging. It had been opened. Yeah. So the results reflected that there was blood on the knife consistent with Chris, Breyer, Chris Byers' blood. The results also stated that the blood was also consistent with only 8% of the population. Now, because Jesse's defense team was busy with Jesse's trial, Lax took it upon himself to dig deeper. Eventually, he was able to piece the story of the knife together. Bruce Sanofsky and Joel Berlinger, the filmmakers producing the documentary Paradise Lost for HBO, sent the knife to Gitchell with a note explaining at how it had come into their possession. What? Mm-hmm. Hold on. Damn, I didn't realize that the HBO documentary actually got tied up in yeah. the case. Mm -hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Because I go back a little bit. We're, this is the knife that they said they found in the... No, no, this is a different knife. A whole different knife. A whole different knife. Okay, so this knife arrived at the police station? Right. It without... Given, no, no, it was given to the police by the producers or the directors of the Paradise Lost documentary. What is... Which one is that? That's, That's the, the big premiere documentary yeah, the about one that started the West Memphis Three. The West 3. Memphis Three is, are innocent. Whoa. Yeah. So, okay, hold on. Let me make sure I got it straight. So these guys gave the knife to the police station. Yeah. This is during the trial? No, this is before the trial. Bef right before before the trial? Right before Jesse's yes. trial. Oh, they went on to make the documentary. Yeah. Or they were making it. Well, right. the they were in the process of yeah, making it. Yeah, the documentary it. is actually a documentary about the case. So they they had access oh, to the Because it was such forward. a high-profile case. They yes. were. Right. Okay, so what the fuck? So, okay, so... Wow. So the producers of a documentary about the case right. gift a knife. They were given a knife. And I'm about to get to where the knife came from. Oh, right. But I just want to make sure that I'm following you that so far that the they they give the knife to the police that they have from yes. somewhere. The police then ship it to the crime lab and find Chris Breyer's or blood consistent with Chris Byers' blood. Okay. On the knife. It was a folding knife and it was in the Okay, so they so they got a pocket knife. They then send it to the crime lab. It arrives there with no packaging, correct? Right. How the fuck did it get there also? Um and then just a stamp on the blade. <laughs> and then and so now we're at the part where they quote unquote find their a bl blood that is consistent with their pa blood. Yeah, it's consistent with Chris Byers and only 8% of the population. All they did was type test it. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, what is he, like, type A or some shit? And it's like, yeah, it's a very rare blood type. Like, fuck off. Yeah. So a few days before and, Christmas. And one more time. They refused to uh, clarify where they received that knife? I'm about to read Okay, it. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So a few days before they wrote, 
a letter to the police. A few days before Christmas, John Mark Byers gave a member of our crew a used hunting knife as a gift. We later discovered that the knife appeared to have blood on it. Naturally, we were shocked and found ourselves in an extremely difficult situation. We felt it was strange that Mr. Byers had given us a used knife that seemed to have blood on it. However, it could have easily been an innocent gesture of friendship. So we did not know, or we did not want to carelessly hand it over to the police concerning uh, creating controversy for Mr. Byers, particularly in the local press. On the other hand, since the investigation had yet to recover a murder weapon, and since it was Mr. Byers' son that had been castrated with a knife, we had no way of knowing if the knife had been involved in the murders. We had to weigh our responsibility as journalists against our moral and civic responsibilities. We didn't want it to create the false impression that we were manipulating the outcome of our film, nor did we want an innocent man to be falsely accused. And on a practical level, we feared that the tremendous access and trust that people had placed in us would be destroyed if we turned over the knife. The press may play it up as if the knife did not play a role in the case. Our subjects might not trust us any longer, but the most important consideration kept floating to the top. If there was even the remotest possibility that the knife was involved in the case, we had a moral obligation to turn it over. Yes. You're right. After several meetings with HBO on the subject, we decided to turn it over to the local police. They're they're right. That, that's they the, made right, the call. right move. Yeah. It's, like, that's, that's journalistic integrity. Yeah. That's not even journal. That's just integrity. Right. Like, that. yeah. Like, even like halfway through that story, I was like, so they were manipulating shit? And then they were like, well, no. We just felt like... If if it's possible that this guy murdered his son with this knife, it's even zero point zero a million zeros one percent, if there is any slight possibility that it was a murder weapon, then it you have to turn it in. Right. So the knife was without a doubt the most. Yeah. Important. If you if you don't, it is also a crime. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, more that matters. matters. In West but... Memphis, it may not have been a crime. Uh, who the fuck who knows, knows with West Memphis? So the knife was, without a doubt, the most important piece well, of evidence. I think it's a crime if you know it's a murder weapon, but it isn't a crime if you did not know that. Yeah, well, it's like purchasing stolen goods. It's a crime if you knowingly purchase stolen goods. It's yeah. uh, not as much of a crime if you buy a TV from someone that was like, yeah, it fell off the truck. Uh I would even say it's more like it would be like if somebody stole a TV and then sold it in a garage sale. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. you didn't know that it wasn't a garage sale. Right. right. Um. So yeah. So the knife was the most, uh, without a doubt, the most important. Almost piece. anything you buy from a flea market. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, for sure. It was this the is most... a really interesting garage sale you have here. You have ten models of the same TV that are new in sealed boxes and huh. thirteen puppies. Hmm. Huh. So yeah, the knife was the most important piece of evidence in the case since Jesse's confession. It had obvious connections to people related to the case. And unlike the knife the police pulled from the lake that they claimed connected the accused to the murders, this knife had a connection to the father of one of the victims. Not to mention, had blood that was consistent with the blood of the boy that was castrated. Bro, if they're... If they're telling the truth that that's where the knife came from, which I don't trust anybody involved in this fucking case... <laughs> Uh, except maybe the boys' lawyers. This is, yeah, and only after they fucking earned it. Um, if that is where this came from, that is even just type matching it is a lot stronger than I thought initially. 
Yeah. Not even, it's still not strong. So, um, because if him and his father happen to have the same blood type, it is his dad, stepfather. His, oh, well, even still. Yeah. If it's still type matching, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to clarify, the uh, type test that was done on the knife, that was done by the Paradise Lost team, no, or that, that was, was done by the by crime the, the, lab The crime afterwards. lab at Okay, gotcha, but, gotcha. And that's why I initially was like, nah, because I don't trust any of these police. Right. But if it did come pre-blooded... Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> now oh, I, I hate that. Again, we are not saying that this points the blame to John Mark Byers. No, no, no. no, no. no. I know I know that we're going to get to a point where we're looking at the other possible suspects. Right. And I have already decided I am not going to decide on one of them as as my favorite when when we get to that point. That's your favorite. Uh, well, you know what this I mean. This is an as, American Idol asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to decide on one of the them competition. as as uh, as the, the one guy that who I, definitely exactly, did. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and go, "Oh, it was definitely him." I might I won't mean it, but I might say it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is just to prove that the case is believed to be solved long before all the facts have been given. Now, on January 26th, two oh, weeks... Because you did it in the script, I, I, I will say that I agree with that so hard. Like, literally, kind of being being a, being babysat by somebody who watched so much Law & Order and CIS and shit. Yeah. Like... That is one thing that I learned fucking quickly is that even in those TV shows, if they think they know who did it, they fuck up every goddamn time. Yep. Like, like you might get the right guy on accident, but you still may, you still fucked up the investigation a little Uh bit. And that's what I meant earlier when I said detectives need to be skeptic to a fault. Like, yes, uncertain to, like, when you're on the fucking stand, the detective should be the only one who should be able to be like, okay, so we, like, the experts should be able to, the detective included, should be able to be like, uh, yeah, so these, this is the evidence that we found, these are the facts that we know, and that may or may not point to this client, may or yeah. this whoever the fuck, yeah. whatever you say, you know. Because you need to be uncertain in order to find the truth, which is fucking weird and backwards, and it doesn't sound like it's intuitive, but it makes sense to me, so. So on January 26th, two weeks into Jesse's trial, Gitchell and Ridge interviewed Byers about the knife. Byers stated that he did, in fact, give the knife to a crew member as a Christmas gift, but that, had, but that no one had ever used it. What follows is a transcript of the rest of the interview. Oh, fuck. Ridge asked, did you use the knife? Byers stated, I never used it. I would have used it. Hopefully I was going to use it for deer hunting. That's all I do is deer hunt, but I never had an opportunity to use it on a deer. Yeah, do you have type A blood? <laughs> Get your last. Did any of your kids. He's, he's, he never had an opportunity to use it on a deer. Yeah. On Get, a deer. Get your last. Did any of your kids, Ryan or Chris, know where that knife may have been at? I mean, could they have gotten it out? To which Byers said, no, sir. I don't think they could have. Okay, said Gitchell, let me explain a problem we had, and you need to answer this for me. We have found blood on this knife. Byer said, I can tell you where I might assume it might have come from. Well, I don't like that. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I might assume it might. So Gitchell said, uh, okay. Well, so- to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, he has 
been de- this is months later like yeah, there, it, this, this is, is like pre just before the trial no, this is two weeks into jesse's trial jesus fuck so it's been almost a year now holy shit so so he's been dealing with these inept fucking cops for a year now uh-huh and yeah i wouldn't know how to deal with them either fair so Byers's response as to how where the deer might have or where the blood that might is have come sussy from. that's a sussy baka yeah, thing sussy to say baka. though for sure yeah he said, and there's where it gets, I got a deer this year, and I was cutting it up to make some beef jerky, and I had a filleting knife, a Ginsu filleting knife, and I thought of that knife, talking about the knife that he gave the the knife in question, and I tried That's to cut not some- a knife. Yeah, I tried to cut some deer as thin as possible, and when I found out that it wouldn't cut as thin as the skinning knife was, I put it up, but that would have been the only time it had ever been around something bloody, I was cutting some deer meat at home. mm that's after he said that he's never used he's it. He's never used yeah. it ever. It's been like put away yeah. or whatever. So Gitchell asks, okay, let me go a little bit further and say there's a problem with that. I mean, I'm not saying it's not true. The problem is we sent this knife off to be tested and it has the blood type of Chris on it. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, deer can have like the full range of blood types. So uh, Buyer said, well, Gary, I don't. Oh, and more, actually. Yeah, I was waiting for that part. I was like, that, yeah. Animals usually get a weird one also, even yeah. if they do match ours. And some of them have A, B, C, F, J, M, R, S, T, and Z. Okay. Blood types in uh, One Piece tend to be F, X, F, X, shit like that. XF. They have fucking blood types? In... No, I'm not going to start you off. <laughs> no, please. Are you sure you want to do that right now? No. <laughs> I don't want him to do that right now. I was the painting of a little boy for a moment there. <laughs> and then the the uh, the transcript just continues back and forth. Why would it have blood? I don't know. Why is there blood? Don't know. So to say that the defense team yeah, and Lax were shocked by the tenor of the exchange would be an understatement. To Lax, it seemed that Gitchell was worried and sounded almost apologetic to Byers. Yeah. But fortunately gee. for Gitchell, DNA testing was still relatively new in 1994, and the amount of blood on the knife was a very small amount, so the lab did the best they could with what they had. The tests that were done basically tested for blood type and found that while the blood was consistent with Chris Byers, it was also consistent with Mark Byers as well. Yep. With Jesse's trial already That's underway, what I was saying. If he had the same blood type and he happened to fucking cut himself. Right. Or, or even just bleed around the knife. Yeah. With Jesse's trial already underway and Damien... Like, like and- literally, I could see a skinning knife. I have done this. I have been cutting a thing because I am country, even though I don't necessarily sound like it to some people. Uh, I... I have I have scars on my hands because knives are fun and when you cut shit and you don't really know what you're doing or you get out of a little bit distracted, a knife will cut you. That is what they do. Yep. And then you bleed on stuff because uh-huh. that's how blood do. So with Jesse's trial already underway and Damien and Jason's about to begin, Fogelman notified the defense teams that after thinking about it and despite saying differently in the interview... Byers now recalled that he had, in fact, cut himself with the knife. There it is. Suddenly. And, and, Suddenly. And that's where we will stop for today. Uh, next week, we will begin the trials where the madness and the madness that ensued. Oh, boy. Yay. Yeah. Fuck this story. So that means I can talk about how it's important when you are doing things. Like, I can believe that he would forget 
that he cut himself with or around the knife. Because, again, when you use knives a lot uh, for anything, cooking, hunting, fucking whittling, any of it, you will cut your hands. Relatively frequently. Yeah. Frequently enough that you might forget which knife you had or why, time. Or why you even have this scar in particular. But you're not going to misremember that you have absolutely never once ever, I swear, used that particular knife. Yeah. yeah. Until you find out there's blood on it. Uh-huh. That's uh, that's an interesting point that you bring up, Josh. Because you know something about the, uh, the interview process. I think you've brought it up before, actually. Is that if you are saying... Um, uncertain statements to the police that usually makes you look more guilty. Yeah. Even though as a normal human, somebody who is confidently stating just absolute memories makes you suspicious, but the police don't think like that. They think if you did the crime, you're going to remember it. And if you didn't, you'll be innocent. And it's like, I might not have done that crime, but like maybe I was maybe I was on the road smoking with my homie. I don't want you to know that shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, keep it in mind. Nah, man, fuck it. If I ever get pulled in for an interrogation and I find out that it's for murder, I'm gonna be like, nah, I was smoking weed. That's fair. <laughs> if, it is, if it's for murder, I would be like, you know what? Nah, I'm not even no because I was on the road with my friend smoking. We were hanging out and listening to podcasts and music. Right. And I and you can look at my phone for that. Like <laughs> it's like no, I well, but that's the thing too is a lot of times like th- this gets covered in the videos. There'll be like uh, many people who are guilty of crimes when confronted with undeniable evidence will attempt to uh, confess to a lesser crime. Yep. Uh, and they all they to... view it as a chess moves, all of them. Yeah, it's uh-huh. ridiculous to me. So that wraps it up. We actually got through to what was actually written as the end of that section. That's so amazing. That is. <laughs> Granted, that was the second half of what was supposed to be episode two. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> oh goddamn! Yeah. What are we on four, yeah. five? This, this is, is this four. is four. Next week will be episode five. So and... what? Are, what are we probably going to get like? Eight. Seven, probably eight. eight. It, probably nine if we add the OJ episode. Uh, we're definitely going to add. <laughs> I'm glad we're just officially on the air <laughs> calling it that now. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to do a follow up, a follow up OJ episode about yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll say what that is. So there. Don't tell them. They need it. It doesn't work if you tell. I them. I think we talked about it on the beginning. Fuck. Yeah, I think so too. You were recording. It's I think. I'm not 100 percent positive now. Fuck. Damn it. Whatever. Never mind. I'm just going to go for it. It's fine. So there is still like a shocking amount of people who believe that the West Memphis Three are guilty. Like a a fucking harrowing amount of people who are still like, no, I'm 100% convinced that they did it. And it's fucking wild. And it seems like all of them have the same thing that they go to which is uh you're only watching the the documentary which like that that's fair it's i would kind of feel the same way if somebody wanted to like fight with me about the Amanda Knox case and they only had watched the documentary and for some reason went were swayed by the detective in that documentary but it's i'm continuing my theme of mentioning the Amanda swayed. Knox case in every episode of the West Memphis 3 yeah, and that's series. not even the fucking episode you're supposed to be writing right now but I'm not even writing that episode right now. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, 
We live but, in a cons- constant miasma of nonsense. But you, you do need to do extra independent... Like, you can't just take all of your sources from one thing on a case. And again, like we said, don't take us as the arbiters of truth. No, not at all. Not for a second, not on anything that we talk about. Not one single thing. What happened? Unless we are telling a personal story. How we said last week, never believe, you know, what we say is the truth. You know? Nah, logic that shit out for yourself, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> and especially a case that is... If what I say mm-hmm. sounds right to you, research yeah. it first. I don't know, man. Confirm it for yourself. I'm yeah. not your damn dad. If it sounds right, still double check. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this year, actually May 5th, so next week, will be the 30th anniversary of this case. Wow. Wow. So you have 30 years of research. You have four documentaries... You've got multiple books. I've even read a book called They Must Be Monsters, which was written shortly after the case, uh-huh. that was absolutely pro uh, the West Memphis Three being the killers. Right. So, I mean, I've read both sides, but there's apparently some court documents that I have not seen. But I anyways, will fucking look at them then. Oh, yeah. uh, but... Um... This is this is all, all all this to say we are going to do kind of a bonus episode at the end of this. We're going to call it the OJ episode because <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go if they did it. We we are going to take that devil's advocate advocate stance and we're gonna look at uh, the theories and accusations and quote unquote evidence that uh, people use to say that they absolutely without a doubt in their mind did it. We're going to go in, and we're going to look at that, and I'm going to try to be real fucking objective. <laughs> but I will flat out say right now, if any of this evidence saying they did it is because they were Satan worshippers or because they were... That does That's not bullshit. Count. Yeah, that doesn't count as, as fucking evidence to No, me. it's not. But... Not remotely. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, fucking... Uh, <laughs> Don has been attempted to be called out on more than one occasion for having bias on the case and people have tried to treat him like he's not if, done all of his research even though he has for 23 years he did his research 23 years of it <laughs> he was born in the west memphis three case you merely <laughs> adopted the darkness <laughs> i was born in it i feel like if you think that the them being satanic or whatever is part of the reason that they have to be guilty. And you have even one Wiccan friend. Um, I don't want to say anything extreme, but um, go die in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably a butthole. But anyways, so we're going to wrap up. Have you checked that butthole? <laughs> have you checked your butthole? So we want to thank you guys for, for stopping by. Thank you for knowing that. <laughs> I, sorry. Um, <laughs> get up, butt up, butthole. <laughs> I'm going to say fuck cancer. I still don't say it yet. Hmm? It's from the same video. Oh, okay. And when he says, man, I really can't find my keys, I still don't say it yet. <laughs> no clue what you guys are fucking saying. So we'll on that note, we'll show it to I, uh, fuck I, cancer. Fuck cancer. I fuck realized cancer. that I didn't even introduce the show today, but uh, uh, I've been Josh, aka uh, the return of the painting. <laughs> it's a- a- aka a painting of a little boy too, electric boogaloo. Nice. Fuck. I wish I remembered what I called myself that day. Um, um I've been, uh, <laughs> I've I've been Ruben, um, down to clown till I'm dead in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> what the. Fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Ruben just flashed his Hatchet Man tattoo. Huh? What? <laughs> and Ruben doesn't have a flash. A hatchet I man so tattoo. don't. Oh my god! <laughs> I had a fago phase. That's as close as I came. Be just good goddamn to close. yourselves. And can I introduce myself, please? Sorry, no. Booker. And I've been Don, aka Squirrely Monkey Jizz, and we will see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. We will see you guys next time. Thank you for coming to our town or whatever the fuck I've been saying lately. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.